A guy bought his wife a beautiful diamond ring for Christmas. <laughs> that was my wife. After hearing about this extravagant gift, a friend, a friend of his said, I thought, I thought she wanted one of those sporty four-wheel drive vehicles. I thought she wanted one of those sporty four-wheel drive vehicles. She did, he replied. But where was I going to find a fake Jeep? <laughs> My wife didn't like that. <laughs> All right, please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, where we read about Herod and the wise men in the Christmas story. Matthew 2, beginning at verse 1. Our theme today is life lessons from Herod and the wise men. And Matthew 2 begins by saying, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. By the way, uh, some of your Bibles, if you, depending on what translation you have, you, your Bible might say, the three wise men came from afar. The three wise men came from afar. But anyway, the wise men arrived in Jerusalem asking, verse 2, where is the new king born of, king of the Jews? We saw his stars that rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. By the way, this prophecy, this prophecy was made about 700 years before Jesus was born. Verse 7, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went to their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Verse 13. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with a child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. 
That night, Joseph left for Egypt with a child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Let's pray. Let's stop and pray there. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this part of the Christmas story. And we once again, oh God, ask that you would open up our minds and hearts to truth that you want us to know, to experience, to put into practice, to be blessed by, to be guided by. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. My friends, whenever I read this part of the Christmas story, one of the main lessons that immediately jumps out at me and comes to my mind is this first lesson, and it is this. Something good can happen in your life even when things are not looking so good. This truth comes to my mind when I, when I read the very first part of verse 1, which says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, how in the world can you see that something good can happen in your life even when things are not looking so good when you read a verse like that, Pastor Nick? Now, stick with me, and you'll see. You'll see. What you need to understand is that King Herod was a brutal dictator in his day. He was ruthless and insanely suspicious. Have you ever met some really suspicious people? Yes. Well, he was the worst. He treated people around him with fear, suspicion, and jealousy. And if there was even a hint a hint of anyone as a rival to his power, that person quickly disappeared. He, was, he or she was quickly done away with. In fact, in fact, this man, King Herod, murdered his wife, Mary Amini, and her mother, Alexandra. He murdered his eldest son, Antipater, A-N-T-I-P-A-T-E-R, and two other sons, Alexander and Aristobulus, they were all assassinated by him. Now how he could possibly do that to his family, it's beyond my comprehension, but unfortunately that's what he did. In fact, Augustus, Augustus, the Roman Empire, uh, the Roman Emperor had said bitterly in his day, he said, that it was safer, it was safer to be Herod's pig than his son. That's what the Roman emperor used to say because of what he saw going on in King Herod's territory. A part of Herod's savage, bitter, and warped nature can be seen from what he planned when, when uh, he was 70 years old and he was approaching death. King Herod at that time returned to the city of Jericho, which was the loveliest of all cities at that time. He gave orders, Herod gave orders as he knew he was going to be dying very shortly. 
He gave instructions for a large group of very distinguished citizens of Jerusalem to be arrested on false charges, and he had them put in jail for no reason at all. Herod gave the order that when, when his heart stopped, that when he died, the distinguished citizens who were locked up were all supposed to be killed. Now, think about this. The reason he planned this was, was because he knew that no one, no one would mourn his death. But at least some tears would be shed at the time of his death on account of the innocent, distinguished citizens of Jerusalem being killed. All right? That's how bad things were. Now fortunately, fortunately, after he died, other leaders had more common sense and were brave enough to say we're just not gonna do what Herod told us to do. When we read in verse one that Jesus was born during the reign of King Herod, it was like saying in the days of Hitler or it was like saying in the days of severe terrorism. That's a little bit what it was like. During the reign of King Herod, however, during that very difficult time, by the way, Herod did accomplish some good things in, in, in that region. There's no doubt about that. But nevertheless, during the reign of King Herod, in a very difficult situation, a very difficult time, a very painful time, a very scary time, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. God came to earth in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. Jesus was born, the one who would save us from our sins. Our Savior, our Savior came into the world. Something good, something beautiful happened even when things were not looking so good. And my friends, it's a powerful lesson, a powerful reminder to us that something good can happen in your life. Radio listeners, something good can happen in your life even when things are not looking so good. God has a way of showing up. God has a way of showing up on the scene in your life even when things are not looking so good. And this Christmas season, this Christmas time, I invite you, I invite you, those on the main level here, those up in the balcony, I invite our radio listeners to believe, to believe that even if things are not looking so bright, Jesus can make something good happen in your life. Look for it, look for it. Seek and you will find. Amen, amen. There's a second lesson that comes to my mind as we reflect and I reflect upon the scripture we just read and it is very simply this. Read it from the big screen with me. Be a wise man or a wise woman and have an earnest desire to worship Jesus. We see this in verses one and two and of course throughout chapter two of Matthew just uh, read in unison verse two. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. 
In this New Living Translation, I read to you from the New Living Translation of the Bible, uh, which was translated from the Greek and the Hebrew in the 1990s. In the NLT translation and in many other Bible translations, translations, the men are referred to as the wise men. Some Bible translations, however, refer to them as the magi. Maybe your Bible translates magi. The Bible doesn't exactly tell us where they came from. But tradition says they possibly came from ancient Babylon, Persia area, which today is Iran. Now, stick with me. If the wise men did travel from Babylon, it meant that they traveled a long ways because the, the route from Babylon to Jerusalem was about 900 miles or about 1,448 kilometers. It's a long haul. It most likely took the wise men about four months or more to finally reach and find baby Jesus. Four months of traveling through desert, through hot sun, through windstorms, through potential attacks from robbers, possible attacks from wild animals, which was a constant danger. I just thought about the fact that they were on the road looking for Jesus to worship him for four months or more. I thought about how, how much of an effort they made to seek out Jesus, to worship him. And I thought, you know, sometimes, sometimes when it's raining or snowing today in this era, Sometimes when it's raining or snowing outside on a Sunday morning and the devil, the devil whispers in your ear, oh, oh, it's not, it's not convenient to go. It's not convenient for you to travel 10 to 30 minutes to get to church. I hope, I hope the Holy Spirit will whisper in your other ear, will whisper words like, hey, the wise men journeyed over 1,400 kilometers for over four months to worship Jesus. What's your problem? <laughs> What's stopping you? Amen? Although the Bible doesn't tell us exactly where the wise men were from, some residents in a small town, residents in a small town in southern United States had an opinion as to where the wise men came from. A gentleman from the New York area was visiting this southern USA town, and, and this fellow tells the following story. As far as I know, it's a true story. In this small southern town in the United States, there was a nativity scene that showed great skill and talent had gone into creating it. He could see that someone had really spent a lot of time creating this beautiful nativity scene. There was one, one feature, however, 
that bothered me, he says. There was one feature about the nativity scene that bothered me, he says. He says, the three wise men were wearing firemen's helmets. The three wise men were wearing firemen's helmets. Totally unable to come up with a reason or explanation, he says, I left. He left the nativity scene. At a quick stop on the edge of town, he says, I asked the lady behind the counter about why the wise men were wearing firemen's helmets in the, in the nativity scene. And the lady behind the counter exploded. She exploded into a rage. She, she, was, she was so angry, exploded into a rage, yelling at me, he says. She, she yelled, you dumb Yankees, you dumb Yankees, never, you never read the Bible, do you? You dumb Yankees, you never read the Bible, do you? He says, I assured her that I did. I, I read the Bible, but simply couldn't recall anything about firemen in the Bible. Well, so the lady, the lady jerked her Bible from behind the counter, flipped through some pages, and finally, finally she jabbed her finger at a Bible verse, sticking it in my face, he said, sticking it in my face. She said, she said, see, see, it says right here, it says right here, the three wise men came from afar. If you didn't get it, uh, I think my sister there got it. You can ask her when you pick up your, your uh, Christmas banquet tickets, okay? All right. Now, came from afar. <laughs> All right. In addition to the Bible not telling us where the wise men came from, the Bible doesn't tell us the actual number of wise men, but across the centuries, Christians have assumed that there were three wise men, three wise men, because of the three gifts that were given. Primarily, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's why the tradition developed that there were th most likely three wise men. Tradition says that there were three. And uh, their names, their names were Larry, Harry, and Jerry. I'm just kidding. The tradition, tradition says their names were Casper, C-A-S-P-A-R, Melchior, M-E-L-C-H-I-O-R, and Balthazar, B-A-L-T-H-A-S-A-R. But because the Bible doesn't tell the names, we really have no way of knowing whether the tradition is, is accurate. But it's a point of interest anyway. My friends, it is a common misconception that the wise men visited Jesus at the stable on the night of his birth. In reality, the wise men probably arrived 
uh, days, months, or maybe, maybe even one to two years after Jesus' birth. And that, that is why Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 says, the wise men visited and worshipped Jesus in a house, in a house, not at the stable, although Jesus was initially born in a stable. So the Bible doesn't tell us what kinds of professions the wise men had, but in 1857, 1857, John Henry Hopkins wrote the Christmas carol, We Three Kings, we sang it earlier, which has sometimes caused people to think that the wise men were kings, but once again, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically. We don't know. Now just stick with me. I believe the Lord deliberately didn't tell us in the Bible many of these details. The Lord didn't tell us how many wise men there were, what exactly they, where exactly they came from, or what their professions were. And I believe the Bible doesn't tell us all those other details and more because the Lord wants us to focus on why they came seeking Jesus. The answer is given in verse 2. We have come to worship him. So many of these other details are put aside. And the focus is, we have come to worship him. That's what it boils down to. They didn't say, we're the great so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. No. We have come to worship Jesus. Question. Do you have that kind of an earnest desire to worship Jesus? This Christmas, I invite you to say, yes, Lord. I want to have a wholehearted desire to worship you. There's a third lesson that we should point out from the scripture that we read, and it is this. Be careful not to allow modern day Herods to discourage you or to stop you from worshiping Jesus. Look at verse 7. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. And then sadly, later in verse 16, we are told, Herod was, furi Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. They didn't go back. They didn't go back to tell Herod where the baby was. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Jerusalem, or in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Now, ultimately, Herod wanted to kill baby Jesus, and to put an end, to put an end to anyone looking to Jesus as a king, looking to worship him. 
Herod wanted all the attention. Herod wanted to be king. If anyone was going to be worshipped, he wanted to be worshipped. Never mind this Jesus. Never mind this baby. No. Herod wanted to do away with any kind of faith, any kind of hope in Jesus. And my friends, Herod's actions can warn us to be on guard against those forces which nibble away at our faith. What might be some modern day Herods or types of Herods? What might they be? Here are a few of them. Discouragement and depression. Sometimes discouragement and depression can cause you, can cause you to start questioning your faith and for you to start saying, Lord, why, why is this happening? Why, why have I become so discouraged and down and out and, and feeling depressed for this extended period of time? Right? Sometimes, sometimes unanswered prayer. Point B for those of you taking notes. Sometimes unanswered prayer. We might be inclined to say, Lord, I've been praying, I've been praying for my son or my daughter or my husband or my wife or my friend. I've been praying for myself for this very difficult situation. And sometimes the weeks, months, or years pass. You have to be careful that unanswered prayer doesn't become a stumbling block, doesn't become a modern-day Herod that interferes with your faith and trust in the Lord. Amen? Another modern-day Herod might be prolonged illness. Prolonged illness. It's one thing for any of us to go through an illness that lasts a few days or a few weeks and sometimes even a few months, but when any one of us wrestles with a prolonged illness, it can take its toll on us, and you have to be careful that it doesn't wear you out, not only, not only physically, not only emotionally, but spiritually as well. Are you with me now? Are you with me, right? Another Modern day Herod could be disappointment with a Christian that you, you looked up to. Maybe, you, maybe there's a, a man or a woman, whoever it might be, that you really looked up to them and somehow they have disappointed you. This, they disappointed you and, and you have a very hard time understanding why. What in the world happened? He or she was such a loving, wonderful, outstanding Christian and somehow they've disappointed you and, and that can take its toll on your own faith unless you're really careful, unless you say, you know what? On Christ the solid rock I stand. Everything else is sinking sand. Yes, indeed. Another modern-day Herod might be becoming careless and repeatedly giving in to temptation and sin. Don't, 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 don't give in to temptation and don't give in to sin, but rather say, Lord, with your spirit and your power, I will be victorious over temptation. God's call for us is that we sin not, that we sin not. And if we allow ourselves to regularly fall into one form of, of sin or another, it will, it will affect us spiritually. It will take its toll on us in terms of our relationship with the Lord, in terms of the purity of heart that we want to have. Something else that can hinder 
our spiritual journey. Another modern day Herod can be irregular church attendance, irregular church attendance, irregular Sunday school attendance. Something else can be irregular or non-existent personal devotions, personal devotions that's important for you, for me, for all of us to have regular daily moments, times, whether it's a shorter period of time or a longer period of time where we, we, we just, we just kind of get aside and we read, we read a part of God's, God's holy Bible and we spend some moments in prayer and you can, use, you can use the devotional booklet that we provide here from our church, or you can use any other devotional booklet that helps you. But whatever you do, set aside some time, whether it's in the morning or afternoon or in the evening, whatever might be suitable for you, to spend time alone with the Lord, praying, reading his word, and saying, Lord, Lord, help me, help me to know what you want me to experience from this part of your Holy Bible. Jude, Jude verse 24 says this. It says, Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Isn't that beautiful? Amen? Here's a fourth truth. A fourth truth from the biblical account that we read and it is this. When you truly seek Jesus, you will find him. And when you do, give him your very best. Amen? The opening of their treasure chest, the opening of the wise men's treasure chests, and presenting Jesus with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh was their way of giving, giving their very best to Jesus. The Bible says they gave him gifts of gold to begin with. Why don't we read verse 11, which summarizes things. Read it in unison. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They then opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So obviously we're told they gave him gifts of gold. Reflect upon this. Gold is the gift for a king. Gold was the gift for a king. Dr. William Barclay beautifully says, Jesus was the man born to be king, but he was to reign not by force, but by love. And he was to rule over human hearts, not from a throne, but from a cross. They presented Jesus with gold, gift of gold. They also presented Jesus with frankincense. And frankincense is the gift for a priest. Frankincense, as some of you know, is a type of resin, R-E-S-I-N, a kind of uh, sticky substance that is used in incense and perfumes obtained from certain trees. It was in the temple worship and at the temple sacrifices that the sweet perfume of frankincense was used. The function of a priest is to open the way to God for men and women, young people and children. And the Latin, the Latin word for priest is 
Pontifex, P-O-N-T-I-F-E-X. Pontifex, which means bridge builder, bridge builder. The priest is the one who builds a bridge between human beings and God. And that, my friends, is what Jesus did. He opened the way to God. He made it possible for us to enter into the very presence of God. Amen. So there was the gold and the frankincense. And the third gift, the third gift <clears throat> was myrrh. M-Y-R-R-H. Myrrh is the gift for one who is to die. Myrrh was an expensive spice used for making perfume, incense, medicine, and for anointing the dead. Myrrh was used to embalm the bodies of the dead. Jesus came into the world to live for men and women, and in the end, to die for them. And the them is you and me. He came to give for us his life and his death. Dr. William Barclay beautifully writes, gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, myrrh for one who was to die. These were the gifts of the wise men. And even at the cradle of Christ, they foretold that he was to be the true king, the perfect high priest, and in the end, the supreme savior of the world. My friends, this Christmas, give. Let us give to our Lord Jesus our very best. The wise men gave him gold, frankincense, myrrh. That was an expression of them giving their best. Let's you and each one of us, let, let's all give our very best to the Lord. Worship Jesus. Worship him, our true king, perfect high priest, and supreme savior of our world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How have you become? Have you become a true worshiper of Jesus. I want to ask you to bow your head now. And if this prayer expresses your desire, I want you to pray it right where you are as our organist plays. Pray this prayer after me, would you? Dear Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you, Lord, for coming into this world in the person of baby Jesus. Lord, I see how the wise men traveled over 1,400 kilometers to find you and to worship you even then as a baby. And Lord, on this day, I choose. I choose to begin to worship you with all that I am. I want to become a true wise man, a true wise woman, worshiping you. 
Lord, they gave you, they gave you gold and frankincense and myrrh. Lord, I give you my very best. I want to give you my very best. The very best of my life. The very best of my talents, my abilities. The very best of my funds. The very best that I could ever hope to be. Oh Lord, I give you myself. And now Lord, I want to receive the Lord's Supper in celebration of the fact that I am, I am a true worshiper of Christ. And Lord, as I take this bread and this cup today, I acknowledge that I have repented of my sins, that I have put my faith and trust in Jesus as my Savior, and that I have determined to give you my very best. I prepare my mind and heart now, Lord, to receive the Lord's Supper in remembrance of how you who were born in a manger grew up and died on the cross of Calvary to pay the price for my sins. I worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.